So we are starting with Hashem already in Yud Aleph, page 11a. The Gemara is going to bring uh, many teachings uh, who we saw yesterday. Amar Rove Bar Maxia, Amar Rav Chama Bar Gurie, Amar Rav. Kol Ir Shegagosea Gvoin, Mibes Agnesis, any city that the houses, so therefore the roofs of the houses are taller than the shul one, the beta knesses, the sov chareiva. So that's a bad thing. Probably I understand it. The people giving more importance to their own homes than to their houses. We see how David Ameli was concerned that he had a house and uh, there was no beta mikdash, and his son Shlom also. He put much more effort to first build, and in a nice way, the beta mikdash and only after his own house. So understand this Gemara to teach, if people give more importance to their own private houses than to the shul, so it's gonna be hareva. At the end, it's gonna be destroyed. Shinimar, we learn this from a Pasuk in the prophet Ezra, to elevate the house of our God. Belamid es chorvosav, and to establish its uh, runes. And then at the end it says, and to provide us with a fence in Yehuda and Jerusalem. So we see that by elevating the house of Hashem, so this is gonna provide a fence for the Jewish people. Now, the Gemara adds to clarify this teaching, Venimili, to which houses are we referring to? Bevatim like normal houses that cannot be taller. Aval be kishkushei, so kishkushei, it's like forts. The roofs of them, oh, avrurei, which is towers, leislemba. Then there's not a problem, those types of roofs are taller because at the end, like those are just protection, it's not really dwelling places. What the teaching is telling us based on the Pasuk, Dwelling places shouldn't be, shouldn't be taller and higher than the shuls. Omar Ravashi, on this Ravashi comments, Anna Abdi, I made sure for the Mata Maxia, the city where he was, the Mara de Asa, the rabbi of the city, the Lo Harva, that it didn't get destroyed because of that. I prevented people from be, building the houses taller than the shul or the yeshiva. The Gemara questions on Ravashi via Harva. But we see that the end, <coughs> the city of Matemachasia, end up being destroyed. So the Gemara answers, Lo, Mutavon, Lo Harva. It didn't get destroyed because of that sin. The Gemara brings another teaching, Vamar Rove Varmechasia, Amarav Hamavar Gurie, Amarav. He says a very interesting teaching. Tachas Ishmael, Velo Tachas Nochri. So if a person he's going to need to need to hire himself to work for somebody else. So it's better to be working under an Arab, a Ishmaeli, and don't work under, says Rashi, Nochri means over here Roman, an Edomite, because they are worst. They're more cruel and more arrogant, and it's worse to work under a Westerner than to work under an Arab. Tachas Noichri, Velot Tachas, uh, well, what is even worse than that? 
uh, Persian. So rather work under a Roman, a Westerner, than under a Persian, a Iranian. Tachas Chavar, Belotachas Tamid Chochem. Now, not for the same reason, but it's even more dangerous to work under a Tamid Chochem than to work under a Persian. Why? Because a Torah scholar, there's many alohes, looking Rashi, how it has to be treated. So if a person doesn't treat correctly a Tamid Chochem, he might end up being punished. So therefore, keep working for under a Persian, don't work under a Torah scholar. And the, 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 the most delicate of all of them, Tachas Tamichocham, Belot Tachas Yasom Vialmana. Work under a Torah scholar, but never work under an orphan or a widow. Because the Torah says that Hashem is especially careful to listen to the cries and to the affliction of orphans and widows. So if you work under them and you do something wrong to them, it's very, very dangerous. Another teaching, Now, the, this teaching is going to bring three types of uh, sicknesses. The one, a holy, looking rush in the footnotes, is more of a lengthy one. So, says like this, if you're going to get a lengthy sickness, anything is better than to be, uh, to be uh, sick in the stomach. Now, a word of pang, which is an intermittent pain, so and, and anywhere in the body is better, but not in the heart. Then finally, which is a light ache, is a light passing pain, Anything that is that passages light is better than a headache. And finally, which is a funny teaching, kol any evil is better velo even better than a bad wife. So look over there, bad woman in the footnote number twelve. This is a reference to a lady with bad midos, that she has a, a very bad character traits, that those really going to ruin a person's life. They're going to take away the Simchas Chaim. So when a person is looking for a wife, better look for Midosteivois and don't look so much into the Iches, into the lineage of other things. Another teaching, Amar Rav Barmechasia, Amar Rav Chama Barguria, Amar Rav, Imiyu Kolayamim. Ah, so he's going to tell us, like in a beautiful poetic form, the following teaching. If all the seas of the world would be available, the deal, ink, the agamim and the marshes, when you can get from the reeds quills to write, kulmusim, quills. So he's telling you even if you have an unlimited amount of ink, an unlimited amount of quills to write, the shamayim yeriois, and even the heavens could be the parchments, you can write on them. Behold, Bnei Adam, Lavalorim, and all the human beings would be scribes. In Maspikim Lechtov, Chalala Shel Reshus. They're not able to record the depth of the government. So look in the footnotes, three ways of understanding this teaching. One of them, in a positive, giving a positive compliment to the government, that the government has to do with so many things 
that is just unbelievable. The responsibilities of a king, the responsibilities of a president, of a prime minister, and we see even more now with this corona, how a country can come into a state of emergency and has to be dealt in a proper way. But anything, any affairs, economics, uh, security, so many areas. So that's why he's saying, even if you have the access to all the ink and all the quills and all the parchments to write, we will never be able to describe the depth of what's going on in the person who has to rule a country. So, the, so that's why the first approach is, and therefore a person should always try to um, not to criticize and to judge for the benefit of the doubt in a favorable way, favorable way whatever the, the presidents do. Now, there's those who explain it to the other way. It says in Pergabot, be careful with the government because they don't really care for you, they only care for, for their own interests. So in this second way of understanding Gemara, meaning to say, you know, the politicians have always their, their own agendas and you can never be sure what's, what, what the thinking was behind their minds. So um, be careful with them. So that's a second approach. And the third approach, which probably is more closer maybe to the first one, that is, yes, in a positive way, but what he's telling us is so overwhelming what has to be done when running a country that if not for the help of Hashem, it would have been impossible for a ruler to really run a country properly. Maikra, and this is based on which verse? Amarab Marshasha, Shamaim Larum, so the heavens for height, the Aretz Oimek, and the earth for depth, when it comes to the Lev, which really means to the mind of the kings, is beyond investigation. We, it's impossible to fathom, as we explained before that. Another teaching, so it's nice that we ended up brachos with all those pages about dreams. So he's going to also speak a little bit about the dreams. And this is connected to the Gemara in Brachos, the Gemara in Tainis. So it's better uh, fast when you have a bad dream. I mean, is is as good, is as effective. Keesh le neores. So neores is a fire that is consuming the toe of flax, which means something very easy to catch fire. So just like that is so effective when you want to make a fire, the same thing, if you want to cancel the negative import, the negative consequences of a bad dream, the best way to do it is by fasting. And looking the footnotes, it's not compulsory when a person has a bad dream to fast, but it's advisable. Now, we're going to read some alahas regarding that, but Allah lemaise, in practical terms, if you have a very bad dream and you are bothered by it, before taking any decisions, check it out with your local rabbi, because there's many, we're going to see first now in the Gemara some areas about it, but there's also many considerations. But let's keep on reading the Gemara. Omar Avchiza, Ubo Bayom. Avchiza adds that if a person has a bad dream, when he wakes up, that very same day he has to fast, not to push it off. 
We have a Rav Yosef, even says Rav Yosef, Afil Shabbos. That obviously we know it's forbidden to fast on Shabbos, we have to do on Shabbos. Nevertheless, if, if it's a bad dream, so you, you have to do it. I read in the biography of the Klosenburg Rebbe how uh, he was an amazing tzaddik when he was a young rabbi in Hungary and it uh, was already 1941, I'm sorry, 1944, when the Germans started taking all the Hungarian Jews to Auschwitz and it was a terrible massacre, one million Hungarian Jews. So he was married, he had a 10, I believe 10 or 11 children. He was an unbelievable, he was a young, unbelievable rab rabbi. And in his biography they say that uh, just before the Nazis start taking all the Hungarian Jews. He had a terrible dream, probably obviously prophecy, letting him know what was going to be. So he ended up fasting on Shabbos. So that's what the Gemara is telling us over here, just to end up the story. It's very sad that uh, he lost his wife and all the kids in the Holocaust. Miraculously he survived. He then became the rabbi in uh, Zanz, in uh, Natania. He lived a long life and he was an unbelievable, unbelievable tzaddik, the Klotzenberg Rebbe. Rabbi Yeshua, Brede Ravidi. So the Gemara is going to illustrate this with a story. So Rabbi Yeshua, the son of Ravidi, Ikla Lebe Rabashi. He once went to visit Rab Ashi, or famous author of the Gemara Rabashi, Adele Igla Tilsa. And Rabashi made a special banquet for him for his honor. And he made, so uh, some translated look in the Askul, like the third born calf. And look in the footnotes that the first two calves born out of a cow, because the cow is not mature enough, they're not, so as, they're not as good. But the third one is the best. So what the Gemara wants to tell us is that they made a special banquet for him. Nevertheless, uh, so they told him, please start eating. Midi, little marmidi, eat something. He wasn't eating. Sorry, I'm not able to eat. I'm fasting. Look in the footnotes that when a person is fasting, it's better not to tell anybody else, not to, for people not to think he's bragging about the fact he's fasting. But if he's in a situation that he's forced to let people know that why he's not eating, Definitely he can let them know. So he told them, sorry, I'm fasting. I cannot eat even though you made this special meal for me. Don't you hold by the following teaching of Rabiude. If a person is in a situation like this, so he can borrow, so to say, meaning to say you can break the fast and then you can Porea, you can repay it in a different day. Looking at the funos, the guidelines, there's different opinions in the Rishonim. When can you do that? And when does this apply? But uh, they were suggesting for him, even though you accept upon yourself to fast, but look, the special meal for you and on, on honor you came. So please eat and then uh, you fast a different day. Amaleu, no, he replied to them, no, tainis halomo. No, maybe. You can borrow and fast a different day on different circumstances of a fast. But when it comes to the fast of a dream, you shouldn't push it off. Robert Bar Marx is quoting or teaching. 
en el nombre de Robert Marmejasia, Amarab Hama Bargorie, Amarab, Yafi Tanis Lechalem Keshleineores. We just saw previously that is as efficient a fast for a dream, a bad dream, like fire consuming the toe of flax. And on that he told them, Via Marabhiza, Uvabayom and Rabhiza added, and the fast was to be in that very same day, so that's why I cannot push it off. You see, it's so important that even takes precedence over Shabbos that it would be forbidden to fast on Shabbos. So we ended up all these teachings just because they were from the same Rabbanim, and we go back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah taught, So the Mishnah at the very end said that on all these activities, a person should start them before the evening minha, but if he already started, he doesn't need to stop. So the, the Mishnah then, that they, you don't need to stop for tefillah, but mafsikin lekirat shma. But you do have to stop for shma Israel because he's from the Torah. Now, the Mishnah, it kind of repeated itself because at the beginning of it, already told us, if you started, you don't have to stop. Then it says, for Shema you stop, or for Tefillah you don't stop. So, so what is going on? You're, you tell me, you, you're telling me, the mission is telling me twice, for Tefillah you don't have to stop? in You already told me, at the beginning of the mission, you don't have to stop for Tefillah. Says the Gemara, you're right, but now it's a new topic. Seifasan ledivra yitoira. No. Now what the, what the end of this mission is telling us is that uh, if you are learning Torah, you don't have to stop your learning of Torah in order to daven. The Tanya, because he's studying a Brisa. Haverim. Haverim literally means friends, colleagues, but many times, as in this context, it really means Torah scholars. So Torah scholars they were delving, they were toiling, they were learning Torah. They need to stop only for the Shema again because it's from the Torah. But they don't have to stop to daven. On this teaching, Rabbi Yochanan comments, We're talking a high caliber Torah scholars like Rashbi the author of the Zohar, and colleagues that they would never stop for a minute. That really, their Torah was their profession, and they wouldn't stop for anything. So for them, even davening, they are exempt, because their learning of Torah is even more important. Now I'm laughing because Rabbi Yochanan, the one teaching this, he is the author of the Talmud Yerushalmi which was also in his own right a brilliant and an amazing Torah scholar. And he's saying, but we, that we are not in the level of Shema Yochai, we have to stop for Shema and for davening. Now the Gemara is going to challenge from a different Braisa, Vatania, Keshem Shema speaking Letfila, Kachema speaking Lekira Shema. This is a Braisa that first of all contradicts the Mishnah, and also, it's difficult to understand that says, just like a person doesn't have to stop 
and the Gemara is assuming that this rice is referring maybe to somebody who learned Torah, and that's, that, that's where it's difficult, just like somebody doesn't have to stop to daven, also doesn't have to stop for the Kiryat Shema. So wh- wh- what is the Brisa referring to? So the Gemara answers, Kitanya yeah, you know who doesn't have to stop, not even for the Shema, Me'ivul Shana, the people involved in the calculations whether a year needs to be added, an extra month of Adar or not. Because we, we find a testimony by Rabada Baraba, the Gentano Savi de Agrunia. The same thing was taught by the elders of Agrunia, Ama Rabbi Lazar Ben Sadok, Bar Sadok, in the name of the Tana, Rabbi Lazar Bar Sadok. Keshanu Oiskin, Beiburashana, Beyavne, when the Sanhedrin was in the city of Yavne. Says Rabbi Lazar and Sadok, when we were busy calculating the considerations whether we need to extend one extra month to the year or not, it was so important those calculations, we wouldn't even stop, not for Shmaisel and not for Davening. So, with these again, more answers, that's last Braisa. So, we have three levels. Normal people, we stop for everything. We, we, we should have we should start even we should have mincha even before we start eating. But if we already start eating, we don't have to stop for tefillah, but we do stop for kirachma. Then Torah scholars, in general, they never stop for tefillah, and people calculating. The, we have to add one month of the year or not, there was people in Sanhedrin, they can even stop, I mean, they don't even stop for anything. They just carry on. So, um, the Gemara in Sanhedrin explains over there the different calculations, different considerations, whether to extend or not one more month of the year. Nowadays it doesn't apply because we have a set calendar, already was established, but uh, Rabiuda, uh, the prince in Babylon, not the Rabiuda of the Mishnah, he, one of his descendants, and that is the calendar that we have nowadays. But in those days, from year to year, we need to, to calculate whether we needed to extend one, one more month of the year or not. And again, it was so important that was only done for special members of the Sanhedrin that that's the only case that those calculations took presence even from reciting the Shema. We're starting a new Mishnah, and this Mishnah goes back to the Alachas of Shabbos, and it goes back uh, at the beginning to the Alach of Otzah, but it's dealing with a rabbinical prohibition. So says the Mishnah, Lo yetzeh a tailor shouldn't walk out of his house carrying a needle, have an hour before the sunset, Shema Yishkach, because we are concerned he might forget that he's carrying the needle and he might end up carrying in Shabbos either from private to public domain or in public domain more than four Amos, which would be the Melacha, uh, would be forbidden. And the same Melacha applies to a scribe, shouldn't go out of his house half an hour before 
שקיעה, סונסט, קרנק אסקוויל. ולא יפלא אסקליו, now this is a different הלכה, which a gemora later is going to clarify, regarding a person getting rid of lies from his garment. So uh, he shouldn't get rid of lies of his garment, and then another halacha, velo ikra leoraner. Also a person is forbidden from reading in Shabbos night from the light of a candle, because in those days, uh, when a person would use, even nowadays actually, if there's a candle of oil, sometimes the wick, it doesn't have enough oil, and p- people that need, want to strengthen the, the amount of fire and the amount of o- light of the candle would move the container of the oil so that we can get more oil and there would be the melach of Abara of kindling a fire which is actually interesting enough is the beginning of this week's parasha that the Torah in general speaks about keeping Shabbos but in particular mentions the melacha don't kindle a fire so as a protection rabbinical protection Chachamin said don't read on Shabbos from the light of a candle they gave only one exception that he said in truth they said Chazan roi eichan tinokos korin the Chazan which is two explanations not the, what we call Chazan today one explanation is like a Gavai that he will be responsible to get seven people for the next morning to have the seven aliyahs and in those days the, pe- the person getting the aliyah would read from the Torah so he would be permitted to check whether Torah youngsters, the, the little boys reviewing the parasha in their scrolls, where are they holding, what are we reading, because he only would be looking at the beginning of the end of, of the scroll of the paragraphs, and he only wants to get an idea from where to where he has to tell people to prepare, so therefore he is not reading and studying, and we are not concerned, he might end up, might end up um, moving the candle to get more fire. Another explanation, which is a very similar idea, the Chazan is not uh, Gavai, rather he is a teacher, and again the teacher is only supervising the students, since he's not reading, he just wants to be sure that the students are doing their learning properly, he only looks at the beginning and the end of what they're reading, and also he won't come to move the candle. Then the Mishnah continues. But he himself, whether he's a Gabbai or whether he's a teacher, he's not permitted to properly read using the candle of, of oil. Now, uh, another rabbinical fence, nothing to do with Shabbos. So we're dealing people that are impure, they are tame by Zav and Ziva. So Ziva is a lady that had a blood emission abnormally, not is not the menstruation blood, is an abnormal and gives her the lach of Zava. So is uh, coming out of her blood irregularly. And regarding a man, is like a, one of the a disease that is similar in their appearance to semen, but it's not exactly the same. And the Torah gives him much more of a degree of tumor 
than the normal seminal emission. We spoke about it in, doing in, the, in the Gemara and Brachas. So over here the Mishnah, in any case, when especially the lady is impure, then either from Zava, from Nida, then the husband is not permitted to, to have intercourse with her. So as a protection, says the Mishnah, they shouldn't be eating together without, um, the, look in the footnotes, that's really an addition to the Allah of the Mishnah, without having a an, an recognition, a siman, an eker, that she is forbidden for him. And this applies even if he is healthy, not only if he's also in Tame. So when a lady is Nida or Ziva, Zava, so they should place, they should put it in different, uh, um, different uh, tablecloths or some type of object that uh, is not part of the cutlery what they're using for eating, just as a reminder that she's in a state of nida, of impurity, and uh, for them not to come to get into intimacy and end up having intercourse in a forbidden way. So this is the Mishnah. Now, the Gemara is going to start challenging some of these teachings. Tlanasa is being taught over there in the Mishnah Nerwin. A person shouldn't stand in a private domain. He's standing inside of a private domain and then just uh, take out of the private domain his, uh, pull out his head to drink above a public domain because he might end up bringing the cup completely from private to, to public and vice versa. He shouldn't be standing in a public domain and drink in a private domain but if his entire uh, head and majority of his body is already in the place where he's holding the cup, then he can drink because he's mostly there, so he we're not uh, concerned. He might end up transferring the vessel from domain to domain. And the end of the Mishnah says, Behen Begas. And the same Allah applies when it comes to a wine press. Now the Gemara wants to understand this. Ivoileu, they asked. Carmel is my. Okay, so here the Mishnah is telling us don't transfer, I mean, not transferring, but don't drink in a different domain where you're standing, whether it's go going from private to public or public to, to private. So the Gimora asks, what about a Carmelis? Now it's interesting, the truth, I don't know exactly why, but the Ascol doesn't explain the question the same way that Rashi does. According to Ascol, they explain the question that is it permitted to stand in a Carmelis and drink in a private domain or a public domain or vice versa. But Rashi says the other way around, which it doesn't make much of a difference because the question is the same. But Rashi says, Mau, Lamot Yochid or According to Rashi, the question is, can a person stand in the private or in the public domain and can he, uh, from the outset, introduce his head into the Carmelis and drink 
his dream. So it's different, but it's the same question anyway. So Amar Abaye, he, he, according to Abaye, for sure, is the same provision. We are concerned that if you're standing in one of the other domains and you're drinking in the Carmelis or vice versa, you may end up trans transferring the cup from one domain to the Carmelis or from the Carmelis to one of the domains. So you shouldn't do it. Rabbi Amar, Rabbi disagrees with Abaye. He goofed Zera. Carmelis in itself is a decree. So even if a person ends up, end, end, ends up bringing a vessel from any either private or public domain into a Carmelis, it's only rabbinically prohibited. And we're going to say that for you not to come to carry into a Carmelis or from a Carmelis, so you shouldn't even drink in such a way, is already too many rabbinical distances, fences. So according to Rabbe, it would be permitted. Now look in the footnotes, according to Abaye, he agrees that usually we don't make rabbinical fences to rabbinical uh, decrees. It's already too much of a separation. But maybe over here, says Abaye, regarding the melacha of Atzah, of taking from domain to domain, there was more of a need to do it. Either because people won't be aware, it's easier to transgress it, or even because people are not as careful when it comes to Milach HaVatzah, I might end up breaking it. So that's why, that's why over here, maybe there was a need to do a double fence. So Avaye wants to bring a proof for his position. Amar Avaye menamin Allah. What is my source to, this, to know that this is the right way of learning this Mishnah? From the end of the Mishnah, the Kesani Vechem Vegas. Because initially the Mishnah said a person should stand in one place and drink in the other one. And then it said Vechem Vegas. And the same thing applies regarding a wine press. So it says Avaye, my gas. So what is this end of the Mishnah that the Allah applies also concerning a wine press? If this wine press is a private domain, Tanina, it's, it's already said in the beginning of the Mishnah, don't do it. If the wine press is a public domain, also Tanina, it's also be taught in the Mishnah. Rather, you see that the meaning must be a Carmelis. So the beginning of the, Ishma, of the Mishnah said, don't stand in, in uh, private and drink in public, or don't stand in public and drink in private. And then it ends by saying, Behem Vegas also in the wine press to include a Carmelis in the prohibition. Rabbi Amar, Rabbi said nothing to do with that. Behem Vegas, the, when the Mishnah said, and the, th the same uh, rule apply regarding a wine press, has nothing to do with Shabbos. Rather, linear miser. Rather, regarding the lachas of miser, we're going to see soon, but nothing to do with Chavez. Regen Amar Rav Sheshes, and the same way that Rav learns the Mishnah, Rav Sheshes learns the Mishnah, Regen Vegas linear miser. is regarding the lachas of miser, and the Gemara is going to clarify this regarding the following Mishnah that speaks about miser. There's none. Shois in Alagas. Ben al Achamin, Ben al Okay, so 
is like this. We're dealing with with uh, the wine press, gas against the wine press of wine that in the land of Israel, maestros and trumos hasn't been separated from from them. Especially now we're dealing with maiser, which is the ten percent that has to go for the levy. So we have an alaha that until the process of uh, preparing the wine has been completed formally, then according to the Torah, a person is not required to separate maiser if he wants to drink. So according to the Torah, a person can drink wine still in the wine press. Now, rabbinically, they prohibited a formal type of drinking. So here the Mishnah is bringing different opinions. When is it considered a formal type of drinking that then will be prohibited rabbinically? Or when is not still considered a normal way of drinking? It's just like a temporary uh, way of drinking the wine that that would be permitted. So according to the first opinion, which is Rabbi Meir, he says, you are permitted upatur, and is exempt from misers. Whether you are diluting the wine, and remember in those days, wine was so concentrated, they need to dilute it with water. So says Rabbi Meir, whether, whether a person dilutes the wine with hot water, chamin, or tzoinen with cold water, then it's permitted to drink it on top of the wine press. Rabbi Lazar was Rabbi Tzadok Mechayev. Rabbi Lazar was Rabbi Tzadok, he says, no, it's completely forbidden to drink it before you take the miser from that wine. You separate the 10th percent that has to be given to the levy. And the third opinion of the sages is an in-between opinion. So if you're going to drink with hot water, then that is already diluted with hot water. That is already considered to be a formal type of drinking. Then you are obligated to separate myself before you drink. But but if you dilute the wine with cold water, you can, yes, drink it before taking separate maestros. Why? Because the person is drinking on top of the wine press di uh, wine diluted with cold water and if he doesn't want to drink that much, he just uh, the rest, he pours it back the remains into the wine press. Now, he can only do that with cold water because putting back uh, wine that has been diluted with hot water would ruin the wine in the press. So that's why Chachamim, they said with cold water that he can return it is considered an informal type of drinking and you can do it before separating the miser from the wine. But with hot water, as we explained, he will have to separate. So what do we see from this Mishnah? So look in the footnotes, there's two ways of understanding the comparison to the Mishnah. The simple one, the first one, is the Mishnah's teaching that even drinking of the press is not deemed casual unless most of his body is also over the press. So it is in this respect that the Mishnah draws an analogy between the laws of Shabbos and the laws of Meister. 
Just as in the case of Shabbos, one is allowed to drink from another domain. If most of one's body is inside that domain, so too in the case of Miser, one might drink over a wine press, provided most of his body is over the press. So this is a simple explanation. Look over there. There are those who want to learn in a different way. But go, coming back to our point, according to Abaye, the Mishnah, when he, the Mishnah spoke about wine press, wanted to include a Carmelis to the previous provision, and he's dealing with Chavez. And uh, Rabbi and Rav Shesha said, no, the end of the Mishnah, speaking about the wine press, has nothing to do with the Chavez. He's telling us that a situation, how a person might be drinking the wine on a wine press, it, it would be considered informal and would be permitted to do it even if the wine hasn't been separated the miser from it. The Gemara brings Tashma. So the Gemara, Abaye, and that's why the Gemara is bringing this Alaha into our Gemara, is going to bring our Mishnah as a proof for Abaye's point. Says the Mishnah, Lo So, I'm sorry, before that, Tran. So the mission we started just now says a person, a tailor, shouldn't go out carrying his needle close half an hour before sunset, lest he might forget and come to and might come to go out on Shabbos. So says Abaye as a proof to his point. My love, the Tchubalo, the big doy. Isn't it this case when the person is, the needle is uh, inserted in his garment? So that is called a shinui. So if his needle is pinned to his garment, that is not the normal way how people carry a needle. It's called a shinui. And according to the Torah, if somebody is carrying something in an abnormal way, he wouldn't be liable. And nevertheless, the Mishnah says, don't do that even before Shabbos, lest you might come to do it on Shabbos. So we see it's a double fence of rabbinical. Don't do it before Shabbos. And even though you are carrying, you are carrying on an abnormal way. So we see a double protection even on a rabbinical decree. So Rabbi says, no. We are in a case, the mission is telling you, don't go out of your house, Erev Shabbos, the tailor, with a needle in his hand. Now Abaye is going to bring a brisa that specifies that we're dealing in a case when it's explicitly the needle is pinned in his garment, and nevertheless, the price is going to say, don't do it. So again, we see explicitly a double protection. Says in this price explicitly, a tailor shouldn't go out of his house, of Shabbos, with his needle pinned in his garment. So my love, even though now this price didn't say explicitly, is before Shabbos, but we can assume, isn't it the case, the Bryce is dealing, Be'er of Shabbos, is Friday before sunset. 
Robinson's law. Kitanyai Beshaves. Robbie wants to push off this proof and says, no, that Bryce is telling us in Shabbos itself, don't do it. Says the Gemora Adaye Beatania, another Brysa, look what it says. Lo yetzea chayet memechato atchuba bevigdo be'erev Shabbos. This Brysa specifies all the conditions. A person is not allowed to go out uh, 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 tailor with his uh, needle pinned in his garment Friday before sunset. So you see clearly that we make we make double fence. Even though it's a shinui, it's not the normal way of carrying. And even even if he end, end, ends up doing it on Shabbos, he wouldn't be liable because the Torah never uh, um, forbade somebody to carry on an, an, a normal way on Shabbos, as we explained before. And don't do it even out of Shabbos, you may end up doing on Shabbos. So we see a double rabbinical protection. Says again, more, okay, Rabbi has no choice. It's explicit over here. But then what, what does Rabbi do? Says Amani, who is the author of this Mishnah? Rabbi Yude, of this price is Rabbi Yude. We are woman, derech that according to Rabbi Yehuda, uh, uh, craftsman is liable if he does things in the way of, of, he, of he usually would do it. But for a normal person, and that's or Mish, uh, Mishnah, and the Mishnah also regarding the press, the wine press, would be Rabbi Meir, that he doesn't hold like Rabbi Yehuda. Because says this price the name of Rabbi Yehuda, Betania, lo yetze achayat be machatoi atchubalo be bigdol. So a tailor might not go out, this is referring on Shabbos, with his needle pin to his garment. And look in the footnotes, they would do this, not because there was a normal way of this craftsman to do things, but this was a, a matter of, a, of advertisement so they would walk in the street like that for people to notice that they deal with this craftsmanship and they would hire them. But not that this is the normal way of doing things. That's why according to Rabbi Meir, if a person does this, even the craftsman himself would be exempt. And according to Rabbi Uda, because this is the way the craftsman does things, even though this is an abnormal way of carrying things, only according to Rabbi Uda he would be liable. So. He's going to give us an, a list besides this tailor or many other professions, how they would carry things in a, a normal way. And nevertheless, according to Rabbi, they would be liable. Velo nagar vekisem shebeos. No, not a carpenter with his ruler behind his ear. I've, I've seen in Mexico, now here in South Africa, how carpenters put their pencils behind the, the ear. Now, uh, here in the Braisa, uh, seems to be in the past in Babylon or maybe in the land of Israel, that what they put behind their ear would be the ruler. And again, this type of ruler, in more of a literal sense, it was a, a straight strip of wood that they would use to draw straight lines, and a carpenter would use this tool to align planks of wood. And again, the only reason they would carry like this, it, it would be just to let people know that they are carpenters, and like these people might hire them to do work for them. 
and again another person uh, in the list, another craftsman, Velosorek, the Meshicha Sheveosno, not a fuller with his cord behind his ear. So this is a craftsman who comes clothed to fluff up its nap. So in this trade, he employs a certain type of cord to bind together the the um, thistles with which he comes the cloth, as well as to tie down the ends of a cloth to the frame, and uh, the frame that he stretches upon when he beats the fabric to raise the nap. To raise the nap, so that's what he w shouldn't go out in the street behind his ear. And in another example, velo guardi veira shebosno, not a weaver with a stopper behind his ear. Look in the fundo number 19. A weaver creates the woof of a cloth by throwing a tube containing a spool of thread back and forth between the threads of the wrap. So to prevent the spool from uh, falling out, so he would pack the tube's opening with a stopper of wool or cotton and leaving only enough room for a single strand of thread to unwind. So again, all these people would go carrying an abnormal way all these different tools just to broadcast to people that there was a profession. And finally, the law tzava bedungma shebetzavaro, not a dyer with his swatch on his shoulder. So look in the fundo number 20. This was a swatch of wool that was dyed with samples of various colors he could provide. So all these craftsmen would do this. So review the halls, they are not permitted in Shabbos to go out like that. Finally, uh, 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 a person that he dealt with, Lo Shulchani Bedina Shebosno. Shulchani from the word Shulchan was a money changer. And uh, they would uh, also deal with currency. And he would put a dinar, which is a certain, co a certain coin, behind his ear. So, so if they go out from the main to the main, so, Patur Avalasur. So, according to Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir, rabbinically, he shouldn't do it, but if he does it, according to Rabbi Meir, he's going to be exempt. But, uh, according to Rabbi Uda, Aval, uh, Rabbi Uda Oimer, Uman Derech Uman Usoy, Chayav. Depends. If he's a craftsman, and this is the way craftsmen carry things, he's going to be liable. The Sharkol Adam, Pator. And uh, the rest of the people would be exempt. So with this, uh, Robe wanted to prove that, yes, the previous prices that Rabbi wanted to bring as a proof were Rabbi Yudah, but <coughs> doesn't not everybody agrees to that. According to Rabbi Meir, he would be exempt, and therefore the Mishnah that we saw regarding the wine press, we can say is Rabbi Meir and not Rabbi Uda.
Russia will continue in 11b3, in the second paragraph, the first column, that the Gemara is going to quote two prices that contradict one another. Tani Chada, one price teaches, Lo Yetze Azab Vikisoi. Zab, we just mentioned, is somebody that has uh, a mission, is a sickness, looks like semen, but conveys a greater degree of impurity. Now, people with the ziva would go out with a pouch, covering their organ to contain the, the segregations, whatever would come out. So says the Gemara on Shabbat, the first brisa, that a person is not permitted to go on Shabbos carrying that. And continues the brisa, Vim patur avalasur. And if he indeed went out carrying that on Shabbos, so it was only rabbinically that was forbidden, that was asur, but from the Torah, he didn't transgress the Torah. But Tanidach, there's a second b'risa teaching, lo chatas. <coughs> he's not allowed to go out, and if he does, he's going to be liable for a sin offering because he transgressed the Torah. So we see a complete contradiction. Omar Yosef, so the, the government's going to try many different ways to explain why one b'risa says, according to the Torah, he didn't transgress, and the other one says that he did. So Lokasha Arabi Meir Arabiuda. And the first answer is connected to the Gemara we just saw previously, the two opinions, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. <coughs> According to Rabbi Meir, a person is not liable if he goes out carrying something not in the normal way to be carry, carried. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, that we saw previously, that he said, at Taylor and all these different people, a carpenter and all those are going to be liable. So same thing says Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef, he is going to be liable for going with that uh, pouch uh, around his organ because that is the normal way that people with uh, ziva go out. So even though other people don't go out like that, so for him that he goes like that, he's going to be liable. Amale Abaye, Abaye is going to challenge Rabbi Yosef's answer. Rabbi Meir. Okay, we hear Rabbi Meir that he, regarding the previous cases of all these craftsmen, he said they weren't liable. Because nobody walks in the street with a needle pinned to their clothes on all the different examples. So that's why even though this particular craftsman did it, because normal people don't do it, <coughs> that's why going to Rabbi Meir, he was exempt. Nevertheless, but from where did you hear that according to Rabbi Meir, if somebody walks out carrying something in the way that for that person, that is the way to carry it, that he would be exempt. And the Zav, that is the way a Zav goes out. That is the proper way for a Zav to go out with a pouch around his organ to protect all the um, things that may come out. So according to Abaye, even Rabbi Meir in this case would agree he's liable. And he's going to bring a proof. If you don't say like that, 
So regarding the following case, Ediot, Shechakak Kav Bevikaas Bejabes. Ediot means a normal person as opposed to a professional. So this amateur, not professional person, he carved out a hole of the size of a cab in a log on Shabbos. <coughs> now, obviously, he's not a carpenter. He doesn't know how to do it properly. But then, nevertheless, he did a melacha. So what? Are you going to tell me that according to Rabbi Meir, because this wasn't done in a professional way, he wouldn't be liable? <coughs> obviously not. Rabbi, Rabbi Meir would agree that whoever does something in the way that he does it, even though it's not the, the common way other people would do it, but if for him that is the way that something should be done, so for him he's going to be liable. So it's the same thing with the, same thing with the, with the Zav, that he's coming out with this pouch, for sure he's going to be liable. So that is not a proper way of answering the contradiction between the two prices. So therefore the Gemara brings maybe a different trial. In There's the difference between a Zab that saw only two emissions to a Zab to a Zab that saw three emissions coming from his organ. A Zab that saw three emissions coming out of his organ, he's in a greater degree of tuma, and therefore he has to bring a korban, either a pair of birds. Uh, no, no, that, that is a korban. He's a pair of bird offerings, and then he can purify himself. But somebody that only saw two doesn't have to bring the korbanos. So therefore, says Rabbi Yosef, the uh, Rabbi Amnun, I'm sorry, the one that has only seen two times, for sure he needs to go out with the pouch to verify if he's going to have another emission or not. Because if he does, then he's going to be liable for the korban. So therefore, he is more liable, and he would have to bring a korban if he does it on Shabbos. But if he, somebody already had three emissions, he doesn't really need to check himself. So then he, according to that, he would be exempt. The Gemara is going to also challenge this. Says the Gemara, Mashnazab what is the difference between a Zab that only saw twice? The Chayab, that if he goes out on Shabbos with the pouch, he's going to be liable. The Mobile Vedike, because as we explained, he needs to be checking whether he has more emissions or not. Says Gemora, Zab Bal Gimel, even one that already had three emissions. Nami, he also is going to have to go out with the pouch. Mivoile Sphere. Lesfira, to count, <coughs> just like a lady that became a nida, after she stops her menstrual cycle, then she needs to check herself for seven days, Sheva Nikim, and only after she can go to the mikvah. The same thing the Zav. Even though he already had three emissions and he's already a complete Zav, but still he has to be checking his organ that he's going to have to have seven clean days, and only after he can go to the mikvah and be pure. So therefore, he needs a pouch to be sure that no more ziva is coming out of his organ. So even, so even, even this zav that saw three times, if he goes out in Shabbos with the 
power that he needs it is going to be liable. So still, this still doesn't answer why one Baiser said that he is exempt. The Gemara tries to go back to this answer with a little bit of more of a touch of um, an addition to the answer. No, so you know, it wasn't required, meaning to say, which is the case that you can say that he's not liable, that he's exempt? Ela levobayom. We're talking about uh, Zav, that on Shabbos was the third time he saw Ziva coming out of, of, of his organ. So therefore, uh, he cannot start counting the seven Nekim, the seven clean days on Shabbos itself, because already in Shabbos he had an emission. Anyway, he has to wait until Mozart Shabbos to start counting the seven clean days. So therefore, in Shabbos, he doesn't really need the pouch to count the days. And that's why, according to that price, if he would go out, he would be exempt. Says the Gemara, but that doesn't help. Because Nevertheless, even if he doesn't need to know whether Morsiming Ziva came out or not, still he wants to go out with that pouch in his organ, around his organ, to protect the rest of the clothing. So he is walking out in Shabbos, carrying something. Why shouldn't he be liable? So the third, I'm sorry, the second way of trying to answer this by Amnuna is also being rejected. So there comes a third trial. I'm Rabbi Zaira, Aitanahum. So um, he's going to compare it to a completely, totally different alaha. And he's going to say that we can find that there's a similar case over here. Hayitana or the Amar, it's that sage that said, Kol atzuleitinuf lo kachashiv, that anything that is to protect something to become soiled is not considered caring. When do we see this? This the following Mishnah. Says the Mishnah, Akofe kara ala koisel. Somebody turned over a plate on a wall. So depends what was his intention. In Bishvil she akara. If he put a plate on the wall and he wants it to be there because it's about to rain, and he wants that the water of the rain should clean his plate. So then, because he is doing it on purpose and he's happy about the water cleaning his plate, therefore that water is going to cause some food, fruit or grain to be ready, it's called in Hebrew, murshar, to receive tumah. And the terminology, the terminology for this, based on a password, is called this is entering the category called Bechi Yutan. So what happens is like this. There's a verse in Vaikra that describes the alaha of fruit or grain becoming tame, becoming impure, by being in contact with the shratim, with the eight reptiles that makes their, 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 their dead bodies that touches something, tra transfers impurity to it. So 
from the Pasuk, the way the Pasuk is written, you can look in the footnote number 35, is the difference whether the water that touched, I mean, so first of all, for fruit and for um, grain to become impure, that only happens after water was put to them, after they already been cut from the ground. As long as they are still attached to the ground, then not, even if water falls on them and then these reptiles touches them, they don't become impure. But once they've been harvested and they're already uprooted from the ground and then they become wet and after they became wet, even though they're dried, but they already became wet and now this uh, animal touches them, they become impure. But regarding that Allah, the Pasuk made a difference. How did they become wet? If they became wet with the consent, with the active, um, um, the active attitude of the owner, so then, because it was done on purpose, with the satisfaction of the owner, then they have become, they are potentially, once they touch the animal, they're going to become impure. But if they became wet on their own, without even knowledge or even the consent or the satisfaction of the owner, then they are not mukhsharot, uh, they are not prepared and they won't become tame. So that's why the Mishnah brings these two cases. If the owner placed the, the plate over there and he was happy for the water to fall on the plate, he wanted that water and then because he wanted to rinse the plate and then that water touches the fruit of the grain because he wanted that water to be there then those fruits of the grain enter the category to be ready the chiyutan they were water was placed on this fruit even though it was indirectly because he really wanted more water in the plate but he was happy about the water being there so therefore, those fruits can become impure. Now, but in Bishvil, and I'm moving a little bit on the page 12, he put the plate over there not to rinse the plate, just to protect the wall from the water. So therefore, he doesn't really want the water. He wants the opposite. He would rather not have water altogether. So therefore, Eino Bechiyutan. So if the plate becomes wet and then that water also gets in touch with the fruit or with the grain, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be actually that fruit or, those or that grain wouldn't be prepared because it wasn't with satisfaction and consent of the owner that the water touched them. So in the same way, says Rabbi Zeira, we can compare the case of this Zav, the person that is walking in the public domain on Chavez with a pouch around his organ. That one Brisa is talking in the case when he is definitely going out with a, with a pouch because he, he wants a pouch to, for him. Um, after two times he saw Ziva, and he wants to see if they can have a more ziva. 
So therefore, he wants the pouch for a purpose. Therefore, he's considered Otzah. He's taking out of Shabbos for a purpose. But if he is only having it to protect his garments, it's just like in the case of the person that put the plate just to protect the wall. He doesn't really care about the water. The same thing over here. The Zab doesn't really care about the pouch. He also, he doesn't want, the only thing he doesn't want, the garment to, to get soiled. So therefore, is not considered liable for breaking Shabbos, for taking out, carrying something on Shabbos with an intention. The Gemara rejects also this. Midami, how can you compare that? Awesome, look at Boileo, Leani Mashkinklal. In the case that you brought me from the person placing a plate to protect the wall over there, he's not interested at all about the water. And that's why it didn't enter the category of something that become that water, that liquids that can make the fruits ready to become to make abutuma. Ah, but in our case of the Zav, Kavoileu Lekis Ziva. He is yes interested in receiving in the pouch the emissions of Ziva for him not to soil the clothing. So it's not comparable to the case of the plate. And if you want to compare it, halodamia ela le seifa. If you want to compare it to something, maybe you compare it, literally seven means to the end of the Mishnah, really means, look in the footnotes, to a further Mishnah over there, that brings the case. Areiva, sheradelev le soicha. So areiva is like a plate, like a bowl, that is some leaking of water into it. So, Maima needs in, there needs being. So the water that is spilling out of that plate, that uh, he's not interested in that water. So that, if then after touches the fruit, so water that splashes or spills out of the bowl, that if touches after that fruit or grain, wouldn't render it something that with the satisfaction or the intention of the owner was exposed to water because that water that spills, he's not interested in it. So therefore, the fruit wouldn't be ready to, 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 to accept Tuma. They don't come into the category of the principle of something that what was placed into them, as we described previously. But but if there's water accumulated inside of the bowl, of that plate, that water, because even though he placed the plate to protect a surface, but he could have placed the plate or the bowl upside down. The fact that he placed it looking upwards is because in a, in a way he did want to, to receive water and to keep that water. So since at the end of the day, that water was, is there on his consent for his satisfaction. So that water is water that if it touches after that uh, grain or fruit would convey tumor to it. So this is just the, the way the Gemara is telling Ravizera that if you want to compare cases, you can compare it to this case. But nevertheless, 
Going back to the case of the Zav, it's a similar idea. Why is the Zav walking out on Shabbos with this pouch around his, uh, covering his organ? Because he does want to protect the clothing. So then it's similar to this case, and therefore he should be liable. Ela Finally, the only way to answer the two prices contradicting one another would be in the following. Lokasha. To say that the Brisa that says that he's liable is following the opinion of Rabbi Yuda. And the Brisa that says that he's not liable is following the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. So what is this argument between Rabbi Yuda and Rabbi Shimon? It's concerning a topic we mentioned a few days ago called Melacha Shenatzicha Legufa. A labor that you're not really interested in the result of the labor. And look over here at the very bottom of the footnote number 11 with a, with a classic example brought that is somebody, Lualain, has a corpse inside of his house on Shabbos. And he doesn't want the dead body inside of the house and he takes the body out of the house on Shabbos. So according to Rabbi Shimon, he's exempt of the Melacha Botzah because the melacha of of carrying done in the Mishkan was always only for a constructive purpose. They never did things for a different type of purpose as this case. In the Mishkan, when they took out, it's because they wanted to use that melacha to build the Mishkan. Now, in our case, if the person was taking out a dead body from the house, it's not because he needs the dead body out of the house, meaning to say to use the body for something. Rather, he just doesn't have, want the body inside of the house. So it's a melacha, it's a labor. When you don't need the end result of the melacha, you just only want your house clean uh, without a, a dead body. You don't want to use the dead body for something outside of the house, and you didn't take it out for a reason. Meaning to say, the, the melacha of otza is not for the constructive purpose of the melacha. Rather, for a indirect results of the melacha. So that is what is called melacha shenatzicha legufa, a labor when you're not really interested in the result of the melacha. So Rabbi Shimon holds that he is exempt from the Torah. Most of the cases is a sur rabbinically. Rabbi Uda holds, no, even in that case, he would be liable from the Torah. So says the Gemara, these are the two prices. So the one that says that he's exempt was the first b'risa, again, because he doesn't want uh, the zav. He's not taking the pouch because he wants the pouch outside. He's not interested in the melacha of regarding the pouch. He, the interest of this person is to guard his garments. So the, the act of taking out the pouch is melacha shenatzika legufa. Is a labor when the end result of the labor is nothing to do with the pouch. So therefore, according to the Torah, he's going to be exempt. The Chachila he shouldn't do it. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, that even Melacha Shenzirah he's liable. So also, even though the intent of the Ziv of the Zav wasn't for the pouch to be carried out in public domain, 
and as we explained, it's only for a different reason for the clothing. Nevertheless, since, since at the end of the day, he's yes, carrying something in Russia's Arabian, or he's transferring from private to public, so he ended up just breaking the Malach of Atzah.